This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest podcast on the Blood Red channel. I'm Matt Addison and alongside me for a special look at Liverpool's economic situation is football finance expert Kieran Maguire from the University of Liverpool. Why have Liverpool not spent much this summer? Why can some of the other Premier League clubs seemingly splash as much as they like? And could Liverpool have some money to spend before that October the 5th deadline? Those are just three of the questions that we will be diving into across the course of the show. But first of all, Kieran, thank you for coming on again. How are you getting on? Uh, well, it's uh, it's a strange world. Uh, football finance has not stopped over the course of the summer. We've had the Manchester City verdict, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, what, what's been happening at Wigan, issues at Charlton. And it, it's actually nice to look forward to a bit of football uh, because it's been it's been a busy summer. Yeah, absolutely. That countdown on now for Liverpool for their first game against Leeds United. And I, for one, can't wait to get back to talking about actual football and actual matches for once. But for now, though, is there really no money? Why is the, the stand sell to buy? Let's get into some of the numbers behind Liverpool's finances. And, you know, in my research for this, I've sort of been taking a look at the accounts and, and things like that. And from what I can see, the incomings in the latest accounts pretty much equate to the outgoings, which I guess kind of effectively explains Liverpool's financial model. Uh, very, very much so. Uh, as far as the, the ultimate owners, FSG, are concerned, they, they want Liverpool to be independent. That They want the club to effectively be able to self-finance. So if, if we take a look at the last six years, in terms of day-to-day, you know, what happens in terms of money coming out, you know, money going out on a day-to-day basis, Paul made $8 million in 2014, $7 million in 2015. They lost money in 2016, but they had a change of manager during that year. And then, again, they've just broken even in 2017, 18 and 19. So it, it does suggest that the owners are not willing to take the approach taken by some other clubs in terms of racking up huge losses uh, in the pursuit of glory. They, they've tried to do it sort of organically rather than just through spending money. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the latest accounts on their own, there was an operating profit of around half a million pounds, I think it was, which is effectively not that much in, in terms of football terms, of course. But that's before player trading and, and interest and things like that are factored in, as I understand it. So, I mean, in the most recent reports, once transfers and that sort of thing get added into the equation, Liverpool have a, a 33 million profit after tax. Previously, that was significantly more than that over the last couple of accounts it's been around 130 million pounds i believe how does that compare to other clubs around the premier league um it, it puts liverpool uh in the in the top few uh spurs make the most profits in the premier league on a, on a year in year out basis uh, and the reason for that is that spurs uh, over the past few years they've only spent 39 pounds on wages for every £100 that's generated by the club. Now, if you contrast that to Liverpool, Liverpool normally spend around about £57 to £58 in wages. Manchester United are just over 50 and so on. So uh, you know, the money is being reinvested in, in players. Uh, and I think sometimes we get a bit sidetracked by the transfer market when perhaps it's just as important to look at the, the, the club getting players tied down on long-term contracts. And that comes at a price. You know, if, if, a, 
if, if you've got a really talented player, uh, you want to commit him to the club for five or six years, then that's going to come in, in the form of a significant pay rise. Um, and, and if we take a look at Liverpool's pay, uh, the, the, the wage budget has, has doubled since 2015. Now, uh, I suspect you or I, we, we've not had our pay doubled in the last five years. Uh, and I suspect few of the listeners have either. But given the nature of a football club, uh, it, it's it's a cost which tends to go underneath the radar because all of the focus is upon transfers. Yeah, I mean, Jurgen Klopp has, has made some comments along those lines, I believe, in, in the last few months. He sort of said that, you know, player contracts and that sort of thing is effectively Liverpool's transfers where other clubs go out and, and buy big players. Liverpool already have those on their books. I mean, you know, that being the case, I mean, does this essentially, you know, what we're saying here with you know, those sorts of figures, does that equate to Liverpool effectively being a well-run club or is it just not that simple? Um, From a financial perspective, I I think it's indicative of a club which has has a strategy, both short, medium and long term. Um, And that's not the case with some other clubs who appear to sort of have a, a revolving door strategy in terms of managers and players, which means sometimes you'll strike lucky, but most of the time you don't. Um, so, you know, from, from my perspective as as an outside observer, yeah, it, I'm, not, I'm not a Liverpool fan. I'm just a, you know, I, I am just a, a teacher. Um, I, I think it's it, it's a sensible approach to take. Uh, you know, Liverpool fans will have long memories. They 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 still will you know be shivering and shaking at the the thought of what happened under Chetan Hicks um, and. Since the arrival of FSG, um, FSG have done some pretty boring stuff. Um, And of course, we want a bit more excitement in life at times. But ultimately, uh, it is given the club the foundations to go on to win the Champions League, the the World Club Championship, the Premier League, um, and to be contenders in the transfer market, uh, whereas perhaps they weren't before. Now, the fact that that money's not being spent... Um, doesn't mean that it can't be spent. It will be a decision which will be made by the manager, by the director of football, by the analytics group, in conjunction with the finance people as well. During my research for the podcast, I came across some tweets from a Liverpool fan called Mo Chatra, who was talking about net cash within Liverpool's accounts. I mean, first of all, what is net cash? I mean, he, he sort of explained it as being the, the figure before player trading takes place as, as being at £129 million. The question really is, what is that? And what is it in simple terms? Well, um, the, the way to look at net cash is, is let's take a look at our personal finances. Um, you know, I've, I've got a mortgage. I owe some money um, on a car loan. I owe some money on credit card debt. I add all those up and, and I'm pretty depressed. And then I say, well, you know, I've got I've got a few grand in an ISA or something. Or I've got a few few quid in a bank account. So it's looking at all the money that you owe to the financial institutions, less all of the cash or the quasi cash that you might hold, and you net those two off. So, so if we take a look at Liverpool's, and I, I refer to this as net debt, um, this has halved since uh, since 2017 so it was 179 million it's now down to 90 now if you if you have less debt it means that you're paying less interest so you're know, on a long term basis that, that means that there's there's more money to potentially invest into the transfer market 
if, if you take a look at Liverpool, uh, as far as their, their interest costs are concerned, you know, it, it's around about four or five million pounds a year. Now, for you and I, that, that's a hell of a lot of money, clearly. But for, for Liverpool as a football club, uh, you know, it's less than 1% of, of their revenue. So that's a, that's a pretty good cost to have nailed down. If, if you take a look at Manchester United, when the Glazers first took over, they were paying out interest of over £100 million a year. Um, and in total, they've paid since 20, 2005 £826 million to banks. That's money which has not gone into the football club. Now, you might be saying, well, you know, as Liverpool fans, you know, why should we care about Manchester United? Well, you've got to be honest, Manchester United are always a potential rival. But they've not won any trophies for a long time. Why is that? It's because money's being being paid out to the bankers. Less money goes into the player budget. So, so you know, ha- having a strategy as FSG appear to have is something which can be used to the club's advantage. And and there's nothing wrong with debt as such. But if you get your debt down, you get your interest cost down, which means that there's more money to spend on other things. And this has allowed Liverpool to to catch up with Manchester United. You know, a decade ago, um, in terms of wages and transfer budgets, Liverpool were a long way behind. Uh, Liverpool's wages last season were £310 million. Manchester United's was 330 So there wasn't a huge difference. And remember, United have got offices in London and you know, Shanghai and God knows where else. So therefore, they, they actually have wages being paid out to sort of satellites uh, from, from, from the mothership, whereas Liverpool's really is, is concentrated uh, in and around the Anfield area. And in terms of that, it's not just transfers as well, is it? Because, you know, Liverpool's owners gave them effectively an interest-free loan to build the main stand, for example, or the new training ground in Kirby. I suppose those are sort of investments as well, which are sort of a sensible thing to, to invest in in the long term, even if you don't get that immediate reward for it. That, that's right. We, we call these infrastructure spends. Um, and again, it's dull. It's sensible. You know, it's all the things we, we want excitement in football. I, I get that. That's the reason why you and I, we've got season tickets and, and we travel up and down the country to watch matches. But the, the impact that that's had is that the match day income at Anfield has doubled from, it was £41 million in 2011, it was £84 million so, uh, in 2019. If you take a look at Manchester United, who haven't invested in the stadium, haven't invested in the infrastructure, their match day income is exactly the same as it was 10 years ago. Now, this is good from Liverpool's point of view because every pound extra that comes in is an extra pound which Jurgen Klopp can invest in either wages or transfer spend and things of this nature. As far as the training ground is concerned, one of the reasons why Liverpool have been successful is that they've had relatively few injuries. Now, why have they got relatively few injuries? It's because they've invested in better training facilities, better medical facilities and all of the dull stuff, which doesn't get us as fans excited, but it does actually impact upon the fact that we've got lots of players at the club who are putting, who are able to play yeah, 35 plus league matches, plus appear in the Champions League and things of this nature. Um, and, and, it's a, and it's a testament to the, the investment in sports science and nutrition. According to, to my calculations, Liverpool's revenues are, are record figures. They're up sort of 77% over the last three years. 
but they've put the club into a, a strong position. They've reduced the long-term debt, as you say. And am I right in thinking, though, that those figures are all sort of 12 months old now because of when the last accounts were published? So we don't really have the information, which is absolutely up to date. That, that's correct. Liverpool have uh, a financial year end of the 31st of May. So, so the figures that you're quoted, the, the £533 million of revenue is for the year to the 31st of May uh, 2019. And, and I think sort of yeah, it, it's a minor tragedy, but it's always nice to knock uh, Manchester United off a perch or two. Um, I think Liverpool were genuinely contenders for taking over from Manchester United as Habit being the Premier League club generating the most revenue. And the reason for that is because Liverpool's year end, as I mentioned to you, 31st of May. Well, what happened on the 2nd of June 2019? They won the Champions League. Um, and had it been in a non-COVID world, they'd have added the World Club Championship and all of the riches for winning the Premier League in 2019-20. Manchester United hadn't qualified for the Champions League, so therefore they were quoting a decrease in income of 50 to 60 million. Um, and I think Liverpool had a huge chance to become the, uh, the club generating the most revenue, which I think would be a testament to the... The, the the back office people and the and the strategy that the owners have uh you know, the more money in means that you've got more money potentially that can go out so in 2019-20 as you say then we only really have projections at this stage but the night kit deal appears to be going well so far it's also likely that you know the commercial income and things like that have have increased i guess because even with covid liverpool have continued to be successful and They've also announced the arrival of Matt Scammell from Manchester United as commercial director as well. So I suppose Manchester United are almost the benchmark apart from the last few years where maybe they've stagnated a little. I suppose ar arriving Matt Scammell, he's going to help Liverpool improve and improve and improve because he's come from previously what was the best example of how to do this. That's, that's correct. I mean, Manchester United have commercial income of around about £275 million a year. Now, Liverpool have done really well. Theirs has trebled from 62 at the start of the decade to 188 by the end. So clearly, it's this is an area where, where Liverpool have realised um, there's an opportunity to, to extend uh, upon the club's history and heritage but one of the ways of, of being able to, to improve on that particular metric is to start winning football matches and trophies because that's what sponsors are willing to pay for. That's what uh, people who are hosting exhibition matches, they're willing to pay for extra. Um, and, and, you know, again, let's park COVID. Liverpool would have been in a very strong position uh, this summer, you know, given all the trophies that they've won to, to have had a very successful pre-season tour to, they, the bonuses would have kicked in from, from sponsors for winning the Premier Leagues because they all want their product sat next to that trophy. You know, it, it's, it's, uh, there's reputational benefits for all concerned and people are willing to pay a price from that. Uh, but I think Liverpool's strategy of, of recruiting Max Gamble is, is a logical one. Um, they want to narrow that gap still further. You know, it, it's 175 compared to 275. But there's still some way to go. Um, Manchester United and Liverpool are both global clubs, and, and I, I know so you know sort of some some local Reds sort of bridle at that, but it, it, you have to accept that. Uh, you know, Liverpool have a worldwide fan base. 
and they have worldwide commercial sponsors. And if they follow the Manchester United model of having local partners and local sponsors, that's proven to be very lucrative from that lot down the A580. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know that fans cost Liverpool three million a game when they're not there because of Anfield's revenue and that sort of thing. But I mean, we don't know exactly when fans are going to come back. How much of a concern do you think that will be for, for Liverpool? Um, well, well, for any business uh, that, that's operating in the hospitality stroke entertainment sector, and, and that's what football is. You know, we, we, we think of it as sport, but actually as professional sport, it's entertainment. Um, if you're losing the ability to, to host events before a paying audience, then that has a huge impact on cash flow. The club will be looking to cut back costs. Um, it, I think it made an error and it acknowledged the error uh, in terms of the use of the furlough scheme. Uh, so it's still got significant wage costs to incur. Um, and you know, £80 million is you know, that, that's, you know, 20% of income. Um, so, you know, from Liverpool's point of view, that they want to address that as quickly as possible. We, we have started to see some experiments uh, in, in terms of matches taking place with restricted audiences. But what Liverpool will have done is that they will have prepared three or four budgets. Worst case scenario, no, no spectators at all. Then you know, costs are going to be to see whether or not they're going to break even. That will impact upon the the approach taken by the owners FSG, who, remember, also have sports franchises in the US that they might may need to potentially support. Um, and that, therefore, will have to go through into the costs. And, and when clubs are looking at costs, they say we've got two types of spending. We've got mandatory costs, where which we can't escape from, the biggest one of which is wages. And then we've got discretionary or perhaps luxury costs in the form of transfers and I think clearly the club has, has addressed that particular issue by taking a cautious approach um, to the pandemic to date as far as the summer is concerned. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. There's a lot of uncertainty over COVID, but I suppose we've got more certainty in terms of the likes of Daniel Sturridge, Simon Mignolet and, and Alberto Moreno left last summer. They were all on significant wages. But I guess, as we said before, there's a lot of sort of balancing things out since then. There's been new contracts for Oxlade-Chamberlain, Origi, Matip. I suppose effectively we are again talking in sort of those wage um, senses. Adam Lallana, of course, has, has left. He was on big wages this summer. I suppose Liverpool, again, are kind of balancing out those things, aren't they? Because certain increases, certain decreases, it's roughly going to be break-even again. That's right. And uh, given the nature of the ownership, model, I don't really think they have a lot of choice. Uh, I think the owners will say, well, well hold on, you know, our, our strategy has worked to date uh, in, in the sense that the club is in a far better place when the, than when they arose. Uh, you know, I, I, li I listen to fans, I, I, you know, I watch social media as we all do, anybody connected with the game, and fans do appear, or some fans do appear anxious. Um, but I think sometimes you've got to take a long-term view. We don't know when football is going to return. Uh, it, it, to me, it's more important that Liverpool maintain the number of employees that they have as high as possible because it is one of the biggest private sector employers in Merseyside. And fans should be proud of that. Um, and th those are things which perhaps are, are just as important or more important um, than going out into the transfer market um, and spending money. 
And, and in terms of the transfer market, it could be that, that Jurgen Klopp and, and his team are very pleased with the, the breakthrough players who, who we started to see at the end of last season. And they see this as an opportunity season. We saw Chelsea do something similar last year and their circumstances were different because they were subject to a transfer ban rather than a conscious decision to, to give uh, the young talent an opportunity to develop within the first team. I suppose the big uncertainty is the TV rebate as well. We don't know exactly how that's going to work yet, but we do know that last week the Premier League cancelled their Chinese broadcasting deal. I mean, what sort of impact will that have on each Premier League club? Because I believe that's split equally across the 20 teams, isn't it? That, that's right. So that's going to work out. Uh, initially, it's going to be a £9 million cost in terms of lost revenue. To, to each club. The, the deal that the Premier League had with PPTV uh, was worth £564 million over three years. That, that it was one year into that period. Um, the, the TV company is saying it's all to do with finance. It's nothing to do with politics. Uh, and if that is the case, it does mean that the Premier League would now be in a position to go to another Chinese broadcaster. Uh, I don't think they'll get the same amount of money because I think at the time... Uh, people thought that this was a very generous offer because PPTV, they also have the rights for La Liga, Bundesliga, Syria. You know, it was, it's a big sports channel. Um, talking to people that I know um, in China, the, the Premier League is the most popular uh, football product uh, as far as, as the fan bases are concerned. So there will be an audience for it and there will be demand for it. So I think we really we ought to watch this space to see how things develop over the course of the next uh, couple of weeks, couple of months. Uh, I, I think at present, the, the, the Premier League, uh, its main focus is trying to work out what it's going to do with TV matches being broadcast domestically, because we still don't know what's going to happen this weekend. Yeah, as, as, a, as a season ticket holder, you, you want to see as many matches as possible. Uh, you, you're already potentially paid for your season ticket and, and to not be given the opportunity seems frustrating, especially compared to what's happening in the EFL, where they, they appear to have got their ducks in a row a bit quicker than the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, we've talked there about obviously increasing things in, in revenue, TV money, even if it might go down in the short term. You know, Over the last few years, that's significantly increased. At the same time, though, player amortisation, I think, is something we need to, to discuss. I'm going to ask you what that means in just a second, because I'm struggling even to say it, despite the fact that I've read it a, a million times. But I suppose it, it's another one of those things where as much as costs have, have gone up on the one side, they've also gone up in this regard as well. So first of all, could you just explain for us in layman's terms what that is? Sure. Um if you sign a player for £50 million on a five-year contract, um, what amortisation does, it says, well, the, the club's going to benefit from employing the player for five years, so we're going to spread the cost. So therefore, we take that £50 million being the transfer fee, and you would say that that's a £10 million. Effectively, it's a bit like a rental fee. You're renting the player for five for, for £10 million a year for five years. So um, that's... That looks at transfers on a longer term basis. It takes away the volatility of signing Virgil van Dijk for one year for 75 million and having that hit against your profits. 
Um, so it spreads the cost. And if we take a look at what Liverpool have done, they have invested substantial money. Um, you know, over the course of the decade, Liverpool spent just over a billion pounds on players. Um, they sold players for 550. Uh, so we get this, what we refer to as net spend was 488. But the majority of that money had came in, in certain years. So, so Liverpool only spent £19 million in 2012, but it was 131 in 2011. So amortisation sort of spreads those two costs and that sort of really averages them out. So if, if we take a look at Liverpool's amortisation costs, uh, you know, fans might think that the club's not investing, but the amortisation cost has gone up from from thirty four million pounds in twenty twelve to one hundred and twelve in uh, twenty nineteen, which which is our most recent set of results. Which means that Liverpool, you know, they, they are at the top of of the division. Uh, it's just that you know the, the way that they spend money is it tends to be little and often. Um, it, it's not as high as the other clubs. We all know that that Chelsea have the benefits of, of a of a billionaire benefactor. So so Chelsea's was 170, Manchester United's was 129, Manchester City's was 117. Yet Liverpool came in fourth. So you know, they are in the Premier League, Champions League spots when it comes to player spend, if you take it over that longer period of time. And I suppose Liverpool now are far more informed of the situation in terms of COVID. Obviously, we've seen this amortisation thing being brought forward as something as a way of, of Liverpool spreading the costs. But I suppose they're doing that anyway. So the impact of COVID isn't really going to influence this, is it? Not, not really. I, I think that, that COVID will affect spending going forwards rather than the amortisation, which really focuses on, on the spending uh, from a historic perspective. Um, you know, Liverpool won the Premier League without spending money on new players last season. Um, you know, so it, it, it's it's proof that you don't have to spend huge amounts if you've already got the infrastructure in place as far as the, the playing part of the club is concerned. Um, and, and in my view, that they also have a strategy for the infrastructure off the pitch as well in terms of the stadium and the training facilities and the medical facilities. So um, going forwards, there, there is going to be less money spent on, on discretionary costs um, for a club such as Liverpool, because as, we, as we've already hinted at, Chelsea have got Roman Abramovich. Roman Abramovich sold one of his businesses in July for £1,500 million. That means he's got spare money, which he can use to spend um, on the transfer market. He bought Munch's The Scream, you know, that famous painting. He spent £150 million on the painting. Spending £150 million on football players is, is you know, chicken feed to him. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose that leads on to the, the next question, really. A lot of Liverpool fans will be looking around the Premier League and thinking, well, Chelsea have spent huge amounts. Manchester City and Manchester United could well still spend huge amounts. Even Leeds United seemingly going for it a little bit, having just been promoted. I suppose... Is it just a case of Liverpool not choosing to, to take a risk? As someone like Newcastle United, for example, if, if they went out and spent 40 or 50 million this summer, would that be a risk that Liverpool just are not prepared to take? Or does it go back to the ownership model once again? Um, it, I, I suspect that if the, if the manager wants the club to spend 40 to 50 million pounds, they will back him. Um, it, it could be 
if you're going to spend that amount of money, it's got to be for a player who is going to be playing 30 plus games in the Premier League. Now, I'm not a Liverpool fan, but I look at Liverpool's team. I think, well, who, who, who's who's he going to replace? Um, so, you know, I think these these are issues. Just just spending the money for somebody to be a squad player, especially when you've got academy products coming through, which appears to be the case with, with Liverpool, with the likes of Jones and Brewster and so on, um, seems to be a bit just spending for the, for the sake of spending. Um, you know, Chelsea, uh, Ch- Chelsea has spent money. Part of the reason for that is, is that they're in the Champions League this year. Uh, you know, and, and that has an impact upon their ability to spend. Manchester City didn't spend very much money last season because they knew that the cast verdict was on the horizon um, and, and they didn't want to uh, have, have the, the, the potential problem of having to have a huge fire sale of players because they weren't in European competition. It notes that they didn't spend money until the cast verdict took place. And, and, you know, be, being in the Champions League is worth up to £100 million in TV money alone. And on, on top of that, let's park COVID once more. You've got potential gate receipts. You've got sponsor bonuses as well. So realistically, you know, being in the Champions League could be worth £150 million to a club if, if you get to the get to those final stages. So Manchester City had two budgets. One, if, if the UEFA verdict was upheld by CAS and another budget if the CAS verdict was overturned. It was overturned uh, and therefore they went out and, and they've managed to spend money. Um, but we've been talking, yeah, Spurs haven't spent a lot. Yeah, they, they've signed yeah, Matt Doherty. Yeah, you know, that's not, not huge. Arsenal have been pretty quiet. Um, there's an awful lot of other clubs uh, have been quiet as well. So Liverpool are not alone in being cautious this summer, or they they think that they've got youth products or they can spot bargains uh, in the market over the course of the next few weeks. I suppose Liverpool also, with the advantage of knowing that even if they weren't to sign anyone this summer, they would probably still finish in the Champions League spot next season anyway, of course, with the, the strength of squad that they have. So I suppose it, it's kind of a, a risk-averse strategy in that sense. Is it also a risk, though, looking at, at the longer-term thing? You think of Mohamed Salah, Firmino uh, and Mai all will have two years left on their contract next summer. Liverpool, at some stage, are going to have to think about you know, what comes next after this current crop of players. Would it not be more sensible to invest in maybe one or two players this summer, one or two players next summer, and sort of spread the cost that way, rather than maybe in a year or two's time having to have a repeat of 2018 where they went out and spent big on, on three or four players? Well, well, potentially, yes. But it, it could be that with what, what the owners have said for, for, for 2020 pandemic, we, we don't know what the state of the market's going to be. Um, it, 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 I think most people have observed, unless they are movements of players from one elite club to another elite club, um, prices have collapsed. Uh, also, if, if they say, well, if we're looking for two years down the line, you know, how could we assess perhaps in 12 months' time the, the progress of the academy players who have broken into the first-team squad and, and, and assess from there? So it certainly is, is a cautious approach, but you know, looking at Liverpool's spending um, over the course of, of the last you know, five years, I've got... 135, 102, 76, 195, 223. You know, th- these are all substantial sums being invested 
they, they've decided perhaps we're going to take a, a two-year hiatus. Uh, we believe that that investment is going to pay off over the course of the next two or three years. And, and then we're, we're going to start to assess and start growth. I fully understand what some fans say, well, yeah, let's go back to the, the Bob Paisley the, the era when it was, no matter what, no matter how many years we've won the, the, uh, the, the old Division One consecutively, we always refresh the squad. It could be that this refreshment is actually coming from within rather than spending money. And to sort of conclude here then and, and sum up what we've discussed, are we effectively saying Liverpool could spend this summer if they really wanted to, but it would perhaps represent a, a kind of change in their business strategy in order to do that? Um, I, I, think, I think they will spend if the right player becomes available at the right price with the right wage demands. Um, if, if, it's, if it's that person who, as far as Jurgen Klopp is concerned, is another piece in the jigsaw. Now that, you know, and you're a Liverpool fan, you know, I, I, I don't know enough about where fans perceive the weaknesses to be, but I'm sure the managers of perception and the recruitment team, um, they, they will have a list of players that they're interested in. I can assure you of that. Um, and they know when every player's contract is expiring as well, because you know, I, I see sometimes the spreadsheets prepared by clubs and they do go into an awful lot of detail. There is no doubt in my mind that Liverpool are one of the top two or three clubs as far as player recruitment and analytics, analytics are concerned, because they've invested so much money in the data side of the club. Yeah, if there's one thing we have learnt over the last few years, it's that Michael Edwards, Jurgen Klopp, SG are the masters really at, at mapping out, certainly in the transfer market, but in other ways as well. That's all we've got time though for here on the Blood Red channel. Thank you very much to Kieran for joining me. Really interesting stuff. Thank you very much and thanks for the invite. Not a problem. Until next time, from me, Matt Addison, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.